that sound, that terrifying sound, is the sound of tomorrow. The conquest of the planet of the apes. Listen to the most awesome spectacle in the annals of science fiction. A chimpanzee rises to give the word for the revolt of the apes. My people will plot for the inevitable day of man's downfall. And that day is upon you now! Alright, welcome. This is uh, the maiden voyage of 70 movies we saw in the 70s. I'm Mike McPadden, the author of Teen Movie Hell and uh, Heavy Metal Movies. My co-host is... Uh, ben Reiser. I'm just a schlub. Madison, no, Wisconsin. No, you're enmeshed in the film culture of Wisconsin. It's true. Okay, okay. I do I do some film programming for the University of Wisconsin-Madison uh, with the Wisconsin Film Festival and with this awesome year-round program that we have called UW Cinematheque, where we show movies on campus for free. So uh, Ben and I grew up in Flatbush, the Flatbush section of Brooklyn in the 1970s. Uh, I'm 51. I believe you're 53. Yeah, I was gonna. That was those are those are two questions I was about to ask you. I was like, "Are we one year apart or two years apart?" And we are two years two apart. years apart. But our Within birthdays we, are pretty close, right? August twenty first for me, and I'm August eighteenth. So we're just that's a, right. We're literally like two two years and a couple days apart. And then we met uh, at SUNY Purchase, where Ben was in the film program. I was uh, on the outside looking in as a media studies major. Yeah, I can't, you know, I tell people the story of how we met, and I don't even, I don't even believe it's true. I heard Howard Stern talking about, he was reading this letter from two college radio guys who got fired. And my dumbass roommate, John Tell, sent it to Howard. Like, I don't know what he was so, thinking. And he signed it, following in your footsteps, Ugh, which God. was so groany even then. So I was, for many years, a Howard Stern fanatic. I've gone back to listening, and it just, it's depressing. Oh. I mean, have you, you know that he's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's like there's nothing else to listen to in the morning. So, and but I mean, it's he's just reading shit. It's like so I hate like, when that happens. But he he would he would do that, you know, from yeah. time to time throughout the years. Like he'd come back from a vacation a lot. Yeah, and he'd say, "Well, he would think, oh, I've written stuff now. <laughs> I'm gonna read it." Like, right, dude. We can tell when you're reading. No, completely, and um. No, my friend Aaron Lee, with whom I do Crackpot Cinema, that you saved by doing the audio for, yeah. he he knows comedians in the 90s, the late 90s, that were writing rants for Howard. And he'd oh, say really? like, hmm. yeah, he'd say like, uh, you know, because that to me, the show, that's when the, the show, it went to hell three times for me. It was <laughs> the E! show when they started having like, you know, girls shooting ping pong balls out of their assholes and then like the most boring celebrity guests you could have, like. I remember Christopher Cross was one of the first ones, and they did, like, three nights on E. Yeah. And, uh, and Howard acting all excited because they reunited him with his uh, his adoptive father or something. I was like, oh, Jesus. Well, and then the movie yeah. really went to hell. And then the divorce, I don't think it ever recovered from. So. Yeah. And I know that you – and I, th- I think it's – I guess, you know, I think about – I mean, certainly you're my closest Howard Stern uh, conspirator, uh, yeah. the person I know who who was obs- as obsessed with Howard as I was, probably more so. Uh, yeah. I still have some cassettes of yours that, that you, you know, wow. you've, you've handwritten all sorts of crazy shit that are like just Howard Stern <laughs> tapes. But I, I do um, 
I can't remember if this is something you and I used to say, but I know this is something that I've said to people for a while, is that the Howard Stern's show is like the greatest thing ever, although arguably it's not anymore, but it, right. but I think sometimes it still is. It can be, yeah. Uh, yeah. But everything else he does is the worst garbage of all time. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> like he, he does one thing better than anybody else, and then everything it, else he tries to do is a complete fucking disaster. And he is like I'll still say he is naturally the funniest person I've ever come across in any circumstance of my life. Yeah, just naturally, just talking. But anything, I mean, the butt bongo fiesta tapes and uh, and you've been in the, the studio, right? Shit. You've actually, uh, been yeah. In. We don't want to get into okay. too many details, <laughs> okay. but okay. I was up there in 1992 for a sordid reason. Uh-huh. Um, which we, so uh-huh. all right, we gotta uh-huh. say there was a period. I have become a flaming drug addict and, and maniacal asshole. So Ben and I didn't talk for about, I don't know, 15 years or something. I think longer. All, all Maybe longer, 15. Maybe. All my know. fault. Might have been 20 years. But uh, I was a complete fucking derelict. And uh, for derelict reasons, I was up in Howard Stern's. Howard Stern's. Like a, that's like the idiots we grew up with. You listen to Howard Stern's? Um, <laughs> in 92. And then years later, when I went to work for Mr. Skin... I would go up and sit in the green room and I would text jokes to Skin. I was his flying joke writer, like Jackie the Joke Man Martling. And I met everybody uh, except Howard. You never met Howard? Uh, no, never never met him, no. Except for the time I was on the air with him. That was Oh, right, yes. There is that. I think I heard that. And he said, uh, he, he threw me out. Yeah. He... Uh, <laughs> He said I was giving him a John Hinckley vibe. <laughs> yeah, correctly. Yes, he is a great judge of characters. Yeah. He brags about. Yeah, he. You know, you know, uh, other friends of ours who who listen to Howard. I, they had this weird. I, I relate this thing, this attitude they have about him as he, you know, as he changes and stuff. Is the same sort of thing that I get. Well, I'm mostly thinking of our friend Chad, uh, right. who uh, who. Always sided with the sidemen over Howard. Like anytime, you know, Howard was giving Gary grief or anybody else, he'd always take Gary's side. And, you know, if people left the show, it was Howard's fault. Like he screwed over Jackie and right. all that stuff, which I also, I, I got that same sense of Chad about rock bands that we liked. If there was ever friction in a band, it was always like the lead singer's fault. And they never gave anyone else enough credit. Right. It's this sort of like sideman mentality that, uh, but I never so I but I never felt as a lead singer myself I never I never <laughs> you never sympathize no I never sympathize what about with that. stuttering John that was it that would go on to the Tonight Show yeah because you, you know blame, those guys you blame make ha- shit money right but uh, but but yeah. but but John was always a fucking asshole wasn't he I I never liked John right. I thought he I mean I eventually grew to accept him as part of the show yeah. and it was funny when they would make fun of him yeah exactly so but you're not saying that that was Howard's fault I mean I, and I don't think Howard wasn't mad at John about leaving he was mad at Leno I think he was furious with John oh and he it was, was a betrayal oh. and the oh. whole thing and then and, and John I mean but still I know those guys like make like dick money and uh, right you know toward the end like I I've heard rumors that he was making a base of fifty five. A year at that, and he'd been on that fucking show, which was a billion dollar business for 15 years at that point, and then would pick up 30, but he had to work every weekend. So, oh, I see. At least on the air for a while, Howard wasn't outwardly no. angry at John. He, no, but what the Howard thing I heard recently was him talking about being King Baby and having to take care of himself and 
how he always had all these servants and what the hell's going on now. That was really funny. But, yeah. But yeah. once, like, and then I loved Artie. I loved Artie on the show. And then when he was gone, I took 10 years off. And I just recently went back about a year ago. So I don't listen every day. I haven't listened every day for a long time. But I will sort of catch up from time to time. But yeah. I do love going into, like, the Sternthology archives well, and best, stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, we're not here so, to talk about Howard. No, but we sure did. And, and that's what this show is. This is uh, too, are we middle-aged? Are we old at this point? I don't know. It's, it's insane to be this old. But uh, we were at school with uh, Parker Posey. Yeah. I was friends with uh, my friend Mario. They, they became roommates. Uh, do you remember Mario? No. Grillo? Oh, he's a good dude. Um, well, I hear we were there with Moby, but I had no... no I didn't know that. And then, of course... Uh, uh, we were there with that, uh, what's her name? Sherry Stringfield? Sherry Stringfield. From, was, from was ER. Stringfield. Yeah, She Stringfield. was Parker Posey's roommate. Right. Um, who else? Well, Wesley Snipes was there before us. Before us, yeah. Uh, and then Nick Gomez, your classmate. Right, right. Nick Gomez. And what's that fucking guy who died recently? Danny Liner. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, the director of uh, Dude, Where's My Car? And a whole bunch. Oh, really? He died? Yeah. Damn. But he was not in a film program, but he's... I, Arguably, maybe the most successful film director, right? Right, yeah, of the recent. Uh, and then uh, Ed Merge, Ed Merge was like the local yeah. genius. Yeah, he made a movie of his asshole shitting, which, like, now that would be nothing because of the internet. Right. Like, you know, you wouldn't even flinch, but it was it was a startling sight. Well, and there. also there there was a the, his girlfriend uh, peed in his mouth, I think, in that movie. Yes, yeah, I believe that or, was, or maybe that, that was, was just in their private film. life. I can't remember yeah, if that was in the maybe movie it was or not. just for you. Yeah. Um, had so, you ever uh, run into Elias, as he calls himself, in, in future years? Did you ever? No, oh. no. Well, I was in a rage. Like, I, I went around, like, trying to, like, ban his movie because I was mad that he made a movie and I didn't get to. Oh. No, no, I wrote, that. like, shit reviews oh, of it for, yeah. like, the New York Press and stuff. That's and uh, constantly complaining about it. It's complete jealous rage. Just yeah. complete imbecilic nonsense uh, you wrote my favorite review ever of a band that i was i guess it was an all about chad thing where you said we were something as bad as or worse than yola tango which yeah. I, I knew which to me was a fantastic insult i was like yeah <laughs> he got yeah. me there but I, it was so funny all my music friends were like what's this guy why is that guy talking about that like it's an insult that's the greatest thing ever <laughs> like, okay, i had to establish myself as the biggest fucking asshole on earth like which i've I did. That was the review of that uh, Freedom of Choice record, the uh, new wave covers by like uh, '90s alternative bands for Planned Parenthood. I wasn't on that. that no, no, but that. I worked it in there. Oh. And it hurt your feelings. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. No, Yola Tango uh, was on oh, there. But, oh, okay. Yeah, that's where the fucking. And I'm still like the one like asshole thing I hold on to is I fucking hate Sonic Youth. Yeah. Still. But you should. They, that, that's uh, yeah. I'm, I'm I mean, with you on that. But like, like I won't let go of this. But I, I just was like re, just tearing into them, and and that's where their fucking cover of uh, oh no, that was on the if I if I were a carpenter. Sorry, never mind. They covered uh, fucking plastic Bertrand. So they oh, they geez. painted the mighty plastic Bertrand, which is a song I fucking love. Yeah, and uh, they do ruin that Carpenter's tribute album. Yeah, which- no, 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 and that's a, that's a way you know, like if anybody ever tells you, I've heard. Uh, the greatest thing ever is the Carpenters cover by Sonic. Like, yeah. just, like, just murder the person on the spot, just because like there's no human life. But I will say that the, the there's a Shonen Knife 
cover on that uh, on that album, Top of the World, I think. And that is, I yeah. think that's better than the original. I love that yeah. version. No, it's a lot of great stuff with this. Babes in Toyland do uh, calling occupants of interplanetary crafts. Of course, Fred Cross. Right. Who we love. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're just catching up. These are two, two <laughs> guys catching up. <laughs> these are our, these are our two, I think. Well, okay. So we're really going to hear, we're going to hear talk about movies. But I would say that our two other touchstones that 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 bond us, uh, you know, for radio, Howard Stern, yeah, and then for music, Red Cross, like those are our yeah, very those much. Are our, those Which are who our you jams. introduced me to? I had never heard of them before. I, you know, uh, you I brought home Neurotica. Yeah, and I got introduced to them. I went to see the Hoodoo Gurus at the Ritz, and I don't know. Whatever year Neurotica came out, 87, was it? 87, I think, yeah. Yeah, and I was there to see Hoodoo Gurus, and I walked out. I usually would try to not get there in time to right. see opening bands, because that's the kind of asshole I was, and still am. Yeah. But um, I walked in, and Red Cross was playing, and they blew me away, and I almost left after their sh- after their set, although I stuck around for Hoodoo Gurus. But, I take but yeah. that back. Uh, I, I, I was aware of them, but that was the first record of theirs I ever heard, because I saw them open for the Circle Jerks a year earlier. Oh wow! Oh, so you and, saw uh, them before I did. I'm they so were jealous. Fucking incredible, and I just—I always said like they're not as big as like they should be because that name you just forget it. Right. It's such a lame name, and uh, but yeah, I take that back, and I couldn't believe it, and and like all the skinheads were like flipping them off and saying, "Get the fuck off the stage." Yeah. But, uh, well, because they them. were playing songs from um, Pippin, Jesus and, Christ, Superstar. and Jesus Christ Superstar, yeah. yeah. They were, they were the they had hair down to their ass. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah. and those guys did that. Uh, the those the the hair that they would wave their hair in sync with each other. The two brothers. And yeah. It was just the best thing I'd ever seen on stage. Yeah, no, it was it was it was insane. But yeah, no, you like confirmed that what I had seen was real when you brought home Neurotica. So, um, oh yeah, so 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 back to the story that got us all on the tangents. Uh, yeah, so I. Didn't I, I? It was SUNY Purchase. Howard said that, and they they like tore into he and Robin. They were like, "Give up! It's ridiculous!" And you know, so then uh, I try. I was asking around, and then I was at the load office because I was looking for extracurricular activities. So that was yeah. our student newspaper, the load, yeah. going through the issues, and I saw troubled airwaves was the article about you and John <laughs> getting thrown off the air. Yeah. W P U R. Yeah. Which I then became in one, like two weeks. I was the manager of. Yeah, and then like two weeks later, I think we were the managers. It was it was it was so stupid. But we almost got kicked off campus for for that prank. Uh, forget the radio. I mean, yeah, we got yeah. kicked off of the radio. But they want they we got dragged into like the uh, provost's office or something wow. and had to explain ourselves. Do you want to talk about what it was or no? Sure, I don't care. It was uh, we were on the radio one night. First of all, this radio. Had a, what did they call <laughs> yeah, it? Mic- it wasn't even microwave. It was something you'd had to take a you piece did. of tinfoil. <laughs> you had the to unscrew <laughs> the, the, the fucking outlet and move wires to get it. Yeah, you had to like attach your radio, your transistor radio or whatever, to an to electrical outlet. It. You had to ground it yeah. to a, an electrical outlet in the dormitory. And that's the only way you could receive transmission of this radio station. Like it wasn't even AM or F. I guess it must have been. It was AM. It was eight ninety AM. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, but then in the in the apartments there was an FM receiver, I believe. Oh, could you get us in the apartments? I didn't I even know. Theoretically, I don't know. 
Yeah, so so John and I were on the air one night, and we didn't we didn't we didn't have a show. You know, we were these dumb dumb Howard Stern wannabes. We didn't even we didn't even begin to grasp how that could happen. You know, like what was good about Howard or how we could possibly emulate that. Um, and we were just bored and looking for stuff to do. And I think there was a there was this here to help hotline on campus, which I guess right. you were supposed to call into if you were suicidal or, yes, and or it was whatever. H-E-A-R to help, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I don't know whose idea it was. We decided to just call them up on the air just to see how they were doing, see if they had any more action going on in their office than we did at the radio station. And we started talking to this uh, young woman who was manning the phones at Here to Help, and uh, we were just bullshitting with her. It was fine, and then it's, and then, she, and but but I think we didn't realize at the time she was sort of worried about us and thought like, oh, maybe there's something going, you know, maybe these people are pretending to be on the radio and it's really a cry for help. <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> uh, and so I think she said, is you know, is there a problem? Are you guys okay? And, and, and I think, I'm pretty sure it was John. I don't think I would have been this brazen. Maybe it was one. One of us said, uh, "Well, we're, you know, if we don't get more listeners, we're thinking about killing ourselves." <laughs> that had to be you. There's no <laughs> way, Sean. Maybe it was. Uh, but uh, you know, and then we finished up our conversation with her, and then I guess apparently, like, she had to sort of a part of her job training was that she had to take some kind of follow up action. And I don't, I don't even know what she did. But by the end, by by the in an hour or two, everyone on campus sort of had heard this thing and. You know, the, our, our station manager had gotten in touch with uh, us and said, uh, we heard what you did and you're off the air and you need to go talk to the provost. They're thinking about throwing you off campus. <laughs> so we had to go and explain ourselves. Man. Yeah. And then I showed up uh, ready to go, shock jocking. I had a show called the Tuesday Night Chainsaw Luau. And which was immediately a million times better than anything John and I even ever <laughs> dreamed of. Because you had well, you, real material. You wrote that that was the thing. Even back then, you were a prolific writer and insanely imaginative and had all this well, energy. You. And you were writing like these 20 page scripts. It was Abner yeah. Costello meet uh, Tracy uh, Lords. I was going to say the most <laughs> offensive thing I've ever been involved in. I was a Hustler Magazine editor for three years, and a contributor for 10 years, <laughs> written Dark Brothers movies. Now, but wait, but didn't was didn't the facts of life figure into that script, or was that a no, separate? No, that was script? the first bit we ever did. Me and my my partner Mike Spring. I always like hide behind him because he's Jewish. Yeah. We wrote <laughs> the facts of life go to Auschwitz oh, because God. the facts of life had been going to Paris and they went down under. Right. And um and and at that time I could do a perfect Mrs. Garrett imitation. And I was there do, something? I could did do it, two voices: Mrs. Garrett and Nipsey Russell, and he could do Bud Abbott. Oh yeah, he was the best Bud Abbott. He was great. He is great. You, Mike Spring. Is. Mike Spring is great. Yes, he's yeah. still around, still still kicking it. You did. Uh, you were a Sid Fields. You were Mister Fields in the. Uh... <laughs> yeah, which I think was just my usual gruff. Yeah, it was. That was uh, the best. Was, you made yeah. no. You made no effort. <laughs> I was doing like no. a Mickey Mouse Costello, and then we had this uncanny invocation of Bud Abbott, and Tracy Lawrence was your niece, and you dropped her off for us to babysit. Am I? It, was it also part of that, or was it a separate thing that was the Summer of My German Shepherd as opposed to Summer of My German Soldier? Summer of My German Shepherd was a gag in the uh, Tracy Lord. That was one of her oh, movies okay. that she okay. was working on. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I wrote a whole bunch of like gag titles like that. Do you, know? you still have tapes of that stuff? I believe Peter Landau has a tape of that in Los Angeles. Wow. wow. He's a hoarder that holds on to this stuff, so... 
Salute to the great Peter Lane, who I'm going to mention when we start talking about Jay Lee Thompson in a little bit. Oh, good. All right. Yeah. So anyway, so we'll, I'm sure over the course of however many of these things we wind up doing, we'll, we'll reminisce about all kinds of college hijinks and post-college traumatic. Uh, and maybe, you know, I'll try to unearth. I mean, I'll give it to you to fucking edit because we could not play that Tracy Lords thing in its entirety. Oh, really? <laughs> not even on a podcast, huh? I would No. <laughs> <laughs> And how did no. that not get us kicked off of WPUR? I guess because you were the station manager, too. <laughs> and nobody heard it. No, you called the Here to Help hotline. Right, so you right, wouldn't. Right. Now, occasionally we, you'd make a joke and then somebody would hear it and they'd want to kick your ass or something for a second. You had. Right oh, the, yeah. Like, I had. Yeah, uh, yeah. We had this Election Eve uh, radiothon. Uh, I guess it was uh, Reagan's. Uh, Second term was coming up. It was 84, yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, these guys came. These conservatives who lived down the hall from us came banging it. We had to lock the station now, door there. We want to say these are conservatives at this fucking art school. Yeah. Like north of Manhattan. Yeah. There was this weird contingent of failed jocks. Yeah. Maybe they got an ultimate Frisbee team yeah. so we could have some kind of team. Yeah. Yeah, this guy Bill de Blasio, who's Facebook friends with me now. He, he was the, <laughs> not the mayor of New York. No, but right. he does wow. get he gets all kinds of um, hate mail from people who think he is the mayor of New York. <laughs> That's he, he gets like yeah. messages on Facebook from people all the time, and he writes back to them pretending that he is the mayor. That's he's, hilarious. It's pre, That's pretty really fucking funny. funny, which is amazing yeah. to me because he was so unfunny in college. But oh well, <laughs> he's developed a sense of humor in his old age. So, all right, well, let's talk. So, so Ben, we were talking about, I was interested, I've always been interested in doing something on growing up in the 70s in New York City, because it's an experience unlike anything before or since, 70s and 80s, uh, when yeah. the city was in its rotten apple moment, the Ford to City drop dead era. So initially, I grew up around the corner from you on East 21st between right. Glenwood and Farragut. That's so amazing. Across the street from, I don't ben know if you want to say that. Yeah, Bennett, Herb, and Anita, and Herb yeah. was the film collector. Right. Who had a night, the first time I saw boobs on a screen at Brooklyn College, he had like outtakes and bloopers. And there was yeah, a, yeah. a famous, uh, I think it's a baby powder commercial with two women in the bathroom. It's on YouTube, so uh -huh. I posted it. Yeah. And one girl's robe drops off, and then the other girl sees her and just throws her robe off, not knowing what to do. So I was like, whoa. Um. So I lived from them. And then we moved to uh, 28th Street between K and L. And that's essentially where I grew up mostly. So That's a prime spot. That's pretty close to like Lenny and John's. and. Uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 100% Orthodox and Hasidic now. I mean, there's like, I mean, there's not even like a, a Reformed Jew in the <laughs> no, area at not, all now. Not a it's Reformed just... Jew, Jew to, to find in sight, yeah. No, no. I mean, there's just, you know, let alone any other... Uh, denominations but uh we looked at like and they tore down our house and put like another weird house on top of it so so anyway so you wanted to talk yeah. about growing up in the city in the 70s yeah i think new york was uh unique in that we had a movie culture unlike anything else we had uh pornography and commercial sex culture that completely destroyed me as a human being, I think, growing <laughs> up. I truly, one version of this in the planning stages was called Molested by the 70s. <laughs> I like that. Which was just going to be like, just how just growing up with hookers everywhere and open displays of pornography uh, completely 
deranged my young Catholic mind and sent me on a dark path. Uh, but uh, you know, to I, where we are today. I don't even. Yeah. Uh, but that's and that's not my. <laughs> That is not my memory <laughs> of growing up. Where were you that you were exposed to all this stuff? Because it wasn't our neighborhood. No, that's true. Uh, Did you spend a lot of time as a kid, like venturing out into Manhattan or to other areas I in Brooklyn? D- I did on occasion. It was just I was naturally uh, obsessed with it. Right. So I was drawn to it. Believe me, I've been through this with like so many shrinks. Like, what happened? Like, what what happened? And I, but I, I swear I was never molested or anything. Yeah. But I, by age five, I was obsessed with pornography from the fucking newspaper. Huh. And and we would get like, you know, we'd get just the regular newspapers and magazines of the day were just constantly. And then like, you know, Midday Live would have, Bill Boggs would have porn stars on, let alone David Susskind. Right. I also never slept. I don't know if you did because I'd want to watch <laughs> movies all night. <laughs> yeah. On I'd... Channel 5 and 11 and 9. Uh, so I'd stay up and watch David Susskind at two in the morning. They have Jack Wrangler on going, I'm not a tripod. <laughs> that was a line. I had to look up what tripod was. Yeah. I did sleep. I did. I was forced to go to sleep by my parents, but I, uh, I would do this thing where I had a cassette recorder. And if there was something that I was watching, uh, but I wasn't allowed to watch the end of it because it was past my bedtime. I would I would record the audio. Sure. Yeah, and yeah. I remember watching the first hour or so of the Parallax View with wow. <laughs> Warren Beatty, and then yeah, yeah. audio record. I was allowed to like let the TV run as long as I turned down the brightness and the contrast all the way so that it was black, <laughs> and then audio record it, and I would fall asleep, uh, and then I would wake up in the morning and listen to that recorded. Uh, section of the TV and for Parallax View like I spent years trying to figure out what it was I was listening to how did that movie end because there's no dialogue or no anything. no yeah it's, it's all impressionistic yeah. yeah and it's Warren Beatty who's like being set up to be to be framed as the assassin for some political assassination right. but it's all just like footsteps and gunshots and stuff and <laughs> yeah. I, I there was years where I was like what the fuck happened in this movie <laughs> and boy uh, so yeah, but so you're so not. That's one element. But you're not blaming Bennett's father for all of that. Like that not, a, not at all. Oh, no, okay. no, no, no. I was I was on the path already. Okay. So, yeah, five years old. No, wow. no, no. I would you know I would just memorize the names in the porno movie ads. Uh huh. Like that. No, and then you know my father brought home like he had I found this hidden Playboy in 1975 and it was just like oh, I'm, I'm ruined. Did you know when I moved, uh, when I lived in Park Slope after college and I was working at the Park Slope Copy Center, uh, one of our regular customers was Vanessa Del Rio. Really? Yeah. It, <laughs> I, don't the, I don't know what the hell she was getting The Latin from of. Manhattan yeah. made it over the bridge. Yeah. You know who else lived in that? You must have seen Andrea Dworkin. Oh, yeah. Waddling around. Oh, yeah. She yeah. was another regular customer. We used to have yeah. to like Xerox copies of her books for her to pass out. I one time <laughs> I one time walked past her with a Larry Flint check in my pocket. <laughs> I was very thrilled by that moment. And then we had Paige Mellish was there, too, in Park Slope, uh, who was the woman against pornography. Oh, God. She would, she would set up on the corner and yell fight back women she have like the hustler grinder cover <laughs> then she switched to animal rights yeah well that was it it was the same thing yeah and um so this is the milieu that we grew up in but ben so ben shared this incredible photograph of you with your grandmother in times square yeah my mom has been um you know my my grandfather and my father uh were obsessive photographers of just like 
everyday life. Like, you know, they just walk around with cameras wherever we went. Uh, but for some reason, they were both... They they wouldn't take they wouldn't they didn't use print film they would use slide film so that <laughs> there were slides right. like slideshows boxes right. yeah. and boxes of slides yeah. all over my grandfather's apartment and and my parents' house and so recently my mom got it in her head to sort of get these things scanned I bought her this little scanner you can stick a slide in you press a button and it scans and it turns it into a digital image so she sent me like the first three thousand of these things <laughs> and I was flipping through them and I found this. Uh, two pictures, actually, of me and my grandma, Libby, outside of the Embassy Theater, which was in Times Square. Do you know Do you know the cross streets of the Embassy? I don't. Nah, but it's smack in the middle there. It's, uh... it's right next to Wienerwald. Right. <laughs> and a theater that I, I'm, we're, I'm looking at the picture right now. Uh, the Palace Theater, which I don't even remember. I don't remember the palace at all. But in this picture, my grandma and I are standing in front of the embassy. We're actually across the street, but it's it's clearly we'd either just seen or we're about to see Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. So that means it's the summer of 1972, and I must be five years old. I think I turned six in August, but I looked at the release date. You know, movies used to play forever back then, right? So it's possible right. that yeah. it's possible that this was that maybe this was a birthday present was I got to pick a movie to go see. It seems crazy to me that this has to be the first sort of non-Disney film that I ever got taken to as a kid. I mean, I'm five, maybe six years old, and I'm seeing Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which I must have. I'm sure I'd never seen. I tried to find out when Planet of the Apes might have first hit. American TV, and for some reason I couldn't come up with that information. My guess is that it was 72. No, but I don't remember. I remember seeing it in 70. I don't remember. On TV. I remember, being, I remember seeing it when I was four or five years old when I was, when it was on TV, yeah. So it was 72, 73, yeah. Yeah, but I, I don't, I, I'm pretty sure that I started my Planet of the Apes experience with Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which I must have seen commercials for and been like, oh, this looks like the greatest thing ever. Yeah. And somehow convinced my grandparents to take me to see this thing. Uh, I thought for sure it must have been rated G, but it actually was. It was the only one of the original five that was rated PG. Um, and so here we are, standing in front of the embassy. We'll, we'll, we'll post the picture in whatever yeah. the hell, however we uh, advertise this thing. I love uh, uh, your grandmother's dress with the floor yeah, point there. It's yeah. great. Yeah, frenzies playing next door. Glad she didn't accidentally walk into that one. <laughs> well, you would have had a you would have had a mind like mine coming out of that one. Well, you know, it's it, let's talk about frenzy for a second. Yeah. I don't remember when I first actually got to see frenzy, but I do remember there was this. It must have been on PBS. There was this. Um, I don't know what the name of the series was, but they would. Uh, it was like directors something rather. And there was like an hour with, with Alfred Hitchcock where they talked to him about oh, his wow. movies. It's a great show, and I remember they showed a clip from Frenzy, and I probably was like seven or eight when I saw this, and it was the it was the scene in Frenzy where the um, secretary gets strangled. I guess it's the secretary. I can't remember. Um, I can't remember but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But uh, she gets killed, and then the camera like pulls out of the office, down right. the stairs out into the street and the, yeah. the whole world outside. And for some reason I got it in my head that that was the end of this movie. And I was like, this is the most horrifying movie. I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I thought this is the, Oh gosh. And, and actually it sort of 
reminds me of something that I kind of wanted to talk about uh, in relation to Conquest of the Planet of the Apes and all of these 70 movies was it, I remember as a kid thinking like all of these movies have these unhappy endings. Uh, You know, Frenzy, it turns out, actually doesn't have an unhappy ending. But, I mean, uh, Conquest has a a pretty terrifying ending. And even the sort of the theatrical version, which is a slightly watered-down version of the end of the movie. Uh, But but then I realized, well, every single one of these Planet of the Apes movies has, like, a terrible... They were trying to outdo each other with, like, unhappy endings. I mean, you know, Conquest to me, the ending um, at that point, and again, having just watched it, and every time I, I'm so on the side of the apes, I'm yeah, thrilled. oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so right, but yeah, certainly the first one, and then you know the second one is the ultimate bummer ending <laughs> beneath. Yeah, and then the real sad one, of course, is is uh, Escape, Escape, where Zier right. and Cornelius get killed, and the baby gets shot, right. the, the regular chimp, and then we had little. Little Milo knee Caesar. I might I might have got that backward going. Mama. Yeah. Mama. Yes. And then battle. It's funny you mentioned this, the heavy ending. Cause I I, I don't remember the ending of battle. I, I saw battle once on TV, tried to watch it again, and it was terror. It was unwatchable. Yeah. Um, but I remember watching that with my sister and our friend Kathy was staying over, and we were all like laughing, having a good time watching this. And then there's like the end is a statue of Caesar and it starts crying the statue. So we started laughing, like cracking up, but it kept going on for so long. We got scared and then we started crying <laughs> like the statue was actually crying. <laughs> then my mother came and actually like defused the situation by talking about how ridiculous the whole thing was. And then we were laughing again, but we got a little weirded out. Yeah. Yeah. In, in researching conquest to talk about it today, I, I, I learned that oh that you know first of all I learned that the real the real sort of mastermind behind this whole ape series is not somebody who I ever really thought of as like the main engine is this guy Paul Dean who wrote right. who wrote all of the screenplays except for the first one I had right. no idea yeah also uh, wrote uh, Goldfinger Spyro came in from the cold. Yeah. yeah, this guy. I mean, but he like you never hear him associated with being the mastermind of planets. You hear you hear Pierre Boulet, the French guy. Right. You hear you hear Rod Serling. Right. You know, and you hear Arthur P. Jacobs. But but this is the guy who wrote four out of five of the screenplays. Who basically came up with the whole idea, you know, of extending yeah. it out past the first one. And he's the guy who like just had to keep topping himself with these miserable endings. (laughs) But but going back to conquest and your idea that being on the side of the apes, well, that's true. And the theatrical version that we saw as kids, and that I, you know, but that kind of is an unhappy. It's sort of a blue balls ending because it really is. It really is like sort of this revolution movie and this. It's almost like a death wish revenge movie by the end of it. Yeah. Uh, But they. But they spare the governor's life in right. the theatrical version. And so it's sort of like, oh, man, I wish they had well, crushed his skull. Except skeleton. I think really I always felt like, you know, as he says, we who are not human can be humane. So it's like yeah. maybe this is finally what Charlton has to – because one of the things I love the most is his misanthropy in – is Charlton Heston's like how much he hates the human race at yeah. the beginning yeah. of Planet of the Apes where he's just like – he became an astronaut just to get away from people. Yes. Somewhere, somewhere in the universe, there must be something better than man. And it's like, well, here's a chance. Maybe there's going to be something better than man. 
much like this plague we're under. I'm like, well, maybe there's a chance things will be better afterwards. But we 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 know we're heading for Battle of the Planet of the Apes <laughs> in our know. hearts. Yes, after yes. this, the unwatchable apocalyptic ape movie. Yeah, and um, but we hope. But um, yeah, I'd never heard of Paul Dean before this, and uh, I'm intrigued now. And he wrote, yeah, he wrote Goldfinger, right? Did you say yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Spyro came from the cold, which is a movie I love. And yeah. uh, so should we talk also about Jay Lee Thompson, the director? Yeah, I, absolutely. Uh, have you ever seen this movie Ice Cold and Alex? Never. No. Never I, heard I've of never it heard today. of it either, too. And I'm like, yeah. what kind of title is that? Like, that makes me want to yeah. see it just to figure out what, why it has that, that title. How about the movie that really intrigued me was the black comedy, What a Way to Go. That he made with this incredible cast. Oh, fire! Nineteen sixty-four. Shirley MacLaine, Paul Newman, Robert Mitchum, Dean Martin, Gene Kelly, Bob Cummings, and Dick Van Dyke. Huh. Never heard of it. That had to have been like a four thirty movie at some point. In our channel, it had right? to have been right. Yeah, completely. That it, it smacks of that. But that cast, written by Betty Comden and Adolph Green, who did uh, Singing in the Rain. Music by Nelson Riddle. And now it's like this. I got to track down. Now, yeah, so. I wonder if it started out as a as a theatrical thing. With the, oh yeah, it's a good guess. Yeah, with those two, um, and then Jay Lee Thompson becomes in late in his career he becomes like Charles Bronson's <laughs> right hand man. He yeah. becomes the canon Charles Bronson. <laughs> but I was gonna say any like we've talked about this on the crackpot. It's like any of the kind of classic era directors who made it to the seventies and eighties, they all kind of take this bizarre turn. So it starts in so nineteen seventy six Saint Ives. So my friend Peter Landau, with whom I took a lot of drugs, drank a lot. I remember him bizarrely insisting to me it was the second best Bronson movie, St. Ives, what? after Rider on the Rain. Oh, okay. Was I was going to say, what's the best? <laughs> <laughs> and then White Buffalo, which is a movie I always wanted to watch. Huh. But I always want to love, but I never do. Right. And then I can't believe, I, this was a reminder, I have to see this, Cabo Blanco from 1980, which is, re, is remake with Bronson of Casablanca. Oh, I saw I that listed today. I was like, does this have something to do with Casablanca? I was like, yeah. Uh, and it is, huh? It's it a is, remake. yeah. Oh, I got to see I'm that. Like, I, I'm only barely aware of it from like Bronson Obsession through the years. I was like, no, that, that we've got to check that. So then the 80s, let's go through this list here. Yeah. He does Happy Birthday to Me, Ugh. which was a, a treat. Yeah. Uh, and then Golden and the Globus Academy Films, 10 to Midnight, which is a fucking wonderful motion picture. Yeah. Finally got to see that in the theater at the Music Box a couple of years ago. Nice. Um, the Evil That Men Do, not a canon film, but maybe it feels like the ultimate Golan and Globus Charles Bronson movie. How is that not a canon film? It's it's odd how they let that slip away. King Solomon's Minds. Uh, Murphy's Law with uh, Kathleen Wilhoyt, which uh, Gilbert Gottfried always brings up. He said he once saw listed like on the TV screen when it was on, it said... <laughs> a detective, Charles Bronson, has to protect a girl who is rude. That's the entire plot description. <laughs> Have you uh, seen that one? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, and it's, is that the plot? That is totally the plot. Yeah, she's supposed to be like this completely obnoxious character that you find lovable. Like she takes no guff. and Yeah, yeah he's he's protecting her from the mobsters or corrupt cops or something. Um Firewalker with uh, Chuck Norris and Lou Gossett. Do you remember the weird period where, like, uh, Chuck Norris was almost respectable? Yeah. 
like code of silence. They were going to really yeah. try and get him to be like a Clint Eastwood type. Well, I remember. Then, I remember when Steven Seagal first arrived, and everyone said, "Oh, he this was is a, like yeah. the Thinking Man." He was a mainstream. Star. Yeah. yeah, he was a mainstream <laughs> superstar. Yeah, people really loved his acting chops, and I and yeah. I and I and I get it too because the first that. four movies yeah. are wonderful. Yeah. I love those Seagal movies, yeah. those initial ones. Yeah. Um, and then Death Wish 4, The Crackdown, the worst of the Messenger of Death, so boring. And then the sleaziest of sleaze, Kinjite Forbidden Subjects, <laughs> with Bronson <laughs> fighting Japanese child pornographers. Wow. Yeah. Which has the incredible scene where he's in the car with the a bad guy at the beginning. He takes out his gun. He's like, nice watch. Swallow it. And he makes the guy swallow his watch. <laughs> That's a good Bronson you do. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, and, but let, let's let's step back for one second and remind sure. people that Jay Lee Thompson is also the director of the original Cape Fear. So that's, that's right. a hell yeah. of a career this guy had. Guns of Navarone and Cape Fear, what he's best known for, yeah. And what I found out today was that he was actually Arthur P. Jacobs' original choice to direct the first Planet of the Apes movie and was involved in the pre-production and then got it took so long that he got pulled away to do something else and... Uh, but was sort of sort of had his eye on the franchise the whole time and finally got to direct one. I think he does a great job in this conquest. I agree completely. Yeah, I think it's really well directed. Um, I think clearly, I mean, you can tell it's a low budget. Oh, movie, my God, it's so cheap looking. But, but yeah. they do. I think they do great stuff with the UC Irvine. They shot the, the cityscape, uh, the sort of minimalist black costumes, except for the Gestapo uniforms. But yeah. Um, and then I read that the sets were and were all like TV show leftovers, like from Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Right, Irwin Allen like gave them yeah, the costumes yeah. from his TV series. Yeah. And all, yeah, but they make it; they really make it work, and I, I think it's completely compelling all the way through. Um, a couple of hilarious lapses of logic uh, that we can talk. Well, about. Well, first of all, yeah. I, watching it now, you know, and with with, with my. 53-year-old lens. Uh, Why the fuck does Ricardo Montalban bring Caesar to this goddamn place in the first place? Are they so (laughs) desperate for money? That was my first question. They don't establish why they're there. They're there to start to 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 run a circus, to to do a circus. To to promote his circus? So why did he bring the talking ape? I don't know. That is this mythical character that everybody says is going to end the world. I don't know. And he flies in in a helicopter, too, like he's like a big cheese or something. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, the movie Armando starts Armando was him. doing yeah. well with yeah. his circus, with his sh- the shittiest flyer. Yeah. Like something you draw like in, in, in your notebook. Like he's like, it's like Caesar the, the chip on a, a unicycle or something. Right. But let me just say, Ricardo Montalban, I mean, this was my introduction to him. And actually, another thing that I was amazed at today is looking at his uh, his IMDb page. I can't believe how many movies he made. I didn't realize he was this huge star in Mexico for decades yeah. before yeah. he even... But uh, I thought, you know, for, I think most people now think of him in terms of Star Trek and Wrath of Khan and blah, blah, blah. But... He was always my Planet of the Apes guy. I think That's he's awesome, fantastic man. Armando, in this movie. He's, he yeah. is so good. I do love his really hilarious uh, expository explanation Yeah. Uh, at the beginning where he just kind of lays out exactly. I mean, it may as well say, previously on Planet of the Apes, <laughs> it's yeah. like, your parents were Caesar and Cornelius, the talking chimpanzees. Yes. They and came I've here. They were killed. 20 years. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I adopted you and raised you in my circus. Yeah. 
I uh, I was the thing I the thing I remember being most terrified about in this movie as a kid, and I still think is great is that um, what is it called? They call it the authenticator. It's the scene where uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> which I where to he's get forced to, yeah. to tell the truth, yeah. uh, right, and ends up jumping out a window. But that thing. That 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 machine terrified me. I was like, "Oh my god, what is with this bright light?" And it's it's kind of like a similar effect to what in Exorcist Two, the Heretic, where they right. yeah. have that thing. It's like this weird. It's you know, it really is just sort of. I'm sure it's a nod to like you know um, uh, detectives giving people the third degree with that spotlight and with like. The, a, right. a, 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 but uh, but yeah, that that scared the crap out of me. What and, and I understand why. But here's here's my thing with the authenticator. Yeah. They have a machine that makes yes. you tell the truth. I know. Why is so that you don't have to interrogate yeah, anybody know, anymore. Right? Just take it out. I mean, it was like, it made me think, did you ever see uh, Five Million Years to Earth, the Dr. Quatermass Yeah. Movie? So they go through this whole movie. People are having visions and dreams of this alien invasion. Yeah. Like 15 minutes before the end, they're like, take out the machine that records, that videotapes people's thoughts. Yeah. And then they, they tape it. It's like, well, we could have started this. There's, like, there's no word for this kind of gadget, is there? Like, a, you know, like Hitchcock talked about the MacGuffin. Right. Like the thing that would have prevented the movie if they had just used this device at the beginning. Yeah. Which you would have done. Right. Yeah, maybe we should just call it the authenticator for all the... The authenticator, that's it from now on. <laughs> the other big leap is, uh, so at some point they discover Caesar can talk and they're torturing him. Yeah. And then the cope, the the bad guy, the enforcer says, uh, electrocute him. And they, they juice him and then they just go, all right, he's dead. They don't check his vitals or anything. And no. Of course, he escapes and... Upends the human race and everything. Well, he does such a great job at acting electrocuted. Uh, I think I used to try to do that as a kid. I used to try to imitate Roddy McDowell on that table, like that, arching like yoga like back, back yeah. arch back. And yeah, I'm wondering yeah. if that was McDowell doing that or uh Maybe I, a hell of a thing. Yeah. I, I sort of wonder in some of these movies, like how much of it is McDowell actually doing this? That's a good of, point there. Yeah. I, I'll tell you the uh the shot that I love the most from this movie that I was like, oh my God, I, I forgot all about how great this is, is that that one sort of panning shot where Caesar's got the assault rifle and he's running through yeah. the smoke towards the oh, end. Oh, God, yeah. It's yeah. such a great image. And I'm also it like, is, is that yeah. McDowell? I don't even know. Yeah, I like, I mean, I, I like to imagine. I mean, he's such an amazing actor. I mean, using just his eyes, yeah, his body language. And it kind of, I feel like there's no mistaking the eyes, but I could be wrong. Um, no, absolutely. But but yeah. in those shots, especially the electrocution yeah, right. shot, you're not really the electrocution, seeing his face yeah. to it. Yeah, because that uh, really is sort of an acrobatic thing that he does. Yeah, right. I also thought. I also finally realized. I was like, oh, okay, he knows that there's no juice going through this thing because he's looking at those dials and they're not right. moving, but nobody else right. is paying any attention to that. Oh, that's a good point too. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because McDonald, who is the uh, African American governor's aide. Yeah. Who sympathizes with the apes? Um, he goes and cuts the power right at the right moment. So, yeah. And this is the movie where the 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 series racial subtext is just sort of text at this point. <laughs> I know, in a really kind of crazy, like disturbing way. It's, you I know, mean, there's he, no comfortable way to discuss this. <laughs> there just isn't. I know it's nuts, and, and, and you know, and at every and, and they right, they keep talking about it the whole time. They're always like McDonald, you more than anyone should know, and you never know. I know the, the two like thuggy guards, like they call him an ape lover. One guy goes, "Don't it figure?" Yeah, don't it figure. And then he finally says, "You know, as a descendant of slaves, yeah, 
I call on you to you know be better than the the, the evil masters of slaves. You know? Yeah, but it is this you, you 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 know all you have to do is take a quarter step back and you say okay in this movie that's sort of like this analogy about race riots and stuff the the uh, the black people in this movie are apes. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean and there's no way around it at this <laughs> yeah. point because yeah. even earlier on in like the first one especially you had the racism within the ape communities. Right, right. With, well, there's none of that this time. <laughs> no, no, they're all lumped together, which I guess is a, a big commentary on racism, you know, among humanity, where it's like, oh, they're all the same to me. But yeah. uh, I also, my, my wife Rachel made the observation that the in 1991, the ape, though, to put it in 2020 terms, apes are the essential workers of 1991. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're like cleaning, you know, they're doing all the essential work. They're serving in restaurants and I, I tried to get my wife to watch this with me last night, and, and she'll basically watch anything with me. But and I don't, she couldn't remember if she'd ever seen it before. But about halfway through, she's like, "I, I just can't with this movie." <laughs> she, left, <laughs> she left. She walked I away. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I'm loving it. First of all, yeah. this thing is like 86, 88 minutes. It's, I mean, it is it tight. Is breezy, yeah, yeah. Much I mean, of it is you know, violence too. Which right, is awesome. and, and yeah. right. The movie basically ends at the hour mark, and then the rest yeah. of it is just sort right. of like the final battle. Just ape carnage, yeah. Yeah, which um, I, I I love, and I, I watched the uh, the the uh, unrated version. So we should talk about the fact that this thing had one ending, and then they had yeah. a sneak preview somewhere, and they're like, "Oh no!" I think first of all, they were afraid they were going to get an R rating. I think they were. They had been planning on a G, <laughs> and then I right. think they saw the footage. And actually, I watched the footage today, and I'm like, "Poof, yeah." They they're, they do this thing with uh, in the in the unrated version where there's so much blood, and the and the way they do these blood effects is they seem to have somebody off right off screen with like a a bucket of like the brightest yeah. red blood, and when somebody gets shot, somebody off screen just literally throws the bucket. Of blood. Oh man! <laughs> People get hit with like a full paint, <laughs> yeah. paint can wow. full of blood at very yeah. It's bloody. It is bloody. The unrated version, and there's uh, all these dead police bodies that get piled up towards the end, and Damn. apes keep dropping these dead bodies and then smashing them and smashing them with the butts of their rifles. Uh, wow, I've not seen this. I must. Seen oh, this, yeah. it is so good. And what? Well, you know the main. The, yeah. the main difference is is that they spare Breck's life uh, in the uh, theatrical in, version. In, yeah. in, in, right in the in the theatrical version. Right, and, but there's this and so there's yeah. this whole uh, Lisa who is uh, uh, Caesar's love interest. Um, is watching all this violence, and she she is moved to actually articulate her first words, which are no, right. no, and so and I and I think that's you're supposed to. I think the implication is that Caesar hears that, and he's like, okay, I need to, yeah, I need to calm this down a little bit, and so he does this. Uh, he's got this amazing speech at the end, which he then adds on to, uh, and says, right, and says the thing you say about you know. We're not humans, so we'll be humane, yeah, and right. we'll, 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 speech, we'll, yeah. we'll dominate you in a humane way. Right, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> you, he does that. You, yeah, we will be, you know, you will serve us forever, yeah, with our new right. religion. But in the original, there is no that. That that part of the speech doesn't exist. Right. Um, and there is no part where, where uh, Lisa suddenly says, no, oh, she doesn't no. speak in the... No, she doesn't wow. speak. Wow. Right. 
So they really, they really pretty drastically changed yeah. that that last five minutes of the movie, and and, and Paul Dean was was thinking that that this was the final chapter. There was no plans for a fifth one. Right. He thought he was finishing his time travel loop with this movie. That yeah. this brings you up to this. This tells you the rest of the story, you know, leading up to Planet of the Apes, uh, which I don't know. Even in that, even in that version, I'm not sure he quite ties up all the loose ends. No, I'm still but a little enough, confused yeah. about. I'm confused about the idea that in Planet of the Apes, it seems like the story is that that mankind has destroyed each other, right. uh, and then the apes have risen from those ashes. And something I remember when I was a kid was I used to whoever would whoever would allow me to I would. I, and I remember walking down the street with my mom one day and trying to explain the whole chronology of the Planet of the Apes series, <laughs> all five movies to her. Like, in, and, and, you know, and ha- so see what happens is at the end of Beneath, they blow up the whole planet. But right before they do, Cornelius and Zero fly off in uh, in Taylor's uh, spaceship and then they land in 1973 and blah, 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 blah. But... Watching uh, Conquest today, I realize I maybe I don't really understand the full Planet of the Apes story. Like, because I always thought it was that uh, at some point uh, mankind blew themselves up. Right. Which is which is what Heston finds at the end yeah. at the end of Planet of the Apes. Right. And then at some point the apes uh, rose up. Come out of, coming out of those ashes, yeah. Yeah, not right and, and it, not that the apes had risen concurrently to mankind's downfall, but that had sort of come up in the wake of mankind and that people like Dr. Zayas had discovered mankind's history and figured to keep keep men away from you know to make sure that men never rose up again right and to hide that history from the apes because they didn't want the apes to follow down that path of mankind that that was my understanding but now now that i'm really trying to pay some attention i feel like no that's not really the story that well, I, I think it follows because he's talking about we're going to start our own society, our own religion. Or, so I'm starting to think the apes seceded, and uh, right. So they so they didn't get wiped out with everybody else, and then from those ashes they could rise. But I feel like that's like a retrofitting that Paul Dean did as yeah. of conquest. Like I don't sure. Think- I'm not. I don't think I get that impression from anything that happens in the first two movies. That that's no was no. the implication. And then the uh, and what it would also what hit me in an annoying way watching it this time was that this seems like it's another movie that the Terminator ripped off, where yeah. it's like um, uh, the apes are sort of like Skynet uh, in this in this movie, like you know, and, and Breck is like, hey, I need to, we need to kill all these, we need to kill Caesar because or else he's going to destroy us, right? You know, and uh, which uh, I I I I'm not a I I do not like. Terminator. I do not like James Cameron. <laughs> I uh, I'm essentially with you on that. Yeah. I always thought two things. Well, I had been to film school before Terminator right. came out, or while while Terminator came out, I was still in film school, I guess, and had seen Chris Marker's film La Jetée. You turned which, me on to La Jetée and it blew my mind. Yeah. Right. And, and the coolest thing about the Terminator, which is that John Connor's actually seeing a picture, has an image of his right. mom, blah 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 blah. It seems it seemed always seemed to me that 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 he uh, that James Cameron stole that without ever copping to it and without people ever like forcing him to cop to it in in a weird way 
not what happened with Terry Gilliam and 12 Monkeys, which I think is a much better movie and right. a much better ripoff of La Jetée. And Gilliam was always sort of like, yeah, yeah, that's it what It says I, right I, at the beginning, a, inspired yeah. by La Jetée, yeah. Right. And then the other thing about Terminator was, aside from all that La Jetée stuff, is I always thought that The Hidden oh, uh, yeah. Terrific, was a yeah. much what's a much better Terminator, and I also thought that Warlock was a much better Terminator movie. Like oh. I'll take the, I'll watch the Hidden and I'll watch Warlock any day over. Terminator. I'd be right there with you. I, I've always said about the Terminator, you know, it's it's a, I mean, I don't the, the sequel to me is idiotic, and it, little, I mean, any of the other ones are terrible, but um, the first one to me was just like a, a kind of an awesome B movie, and if you got up and went to the bathroom during John Connor's revelation about being from the future. You'd have no idea. That's the only thing that makes it stand out from a very good era of of cheap action movies, right? And, sure. and Arnold is great because he's you know Arnold. But uh, no, I'm with you. I've always been there. And Cameron, you know, I mean, whatever. It's it's going to be fun to watch those fucking avatars come out and bomb though if they ever come out. How, how have they not come out? I don't even understand. How many years has it been now? <laughs> it was two thousand nine. Can you imagine watching that movie twice? Anybody watching it twice? The first one? Yeah. No, oh, no. That's what God I mean. No. Yeah, and now there's going to be four more. <laughs> yeah, and it's completely gone. It's completely disappeared from the culture. Is there a? Isn't there? Is there some kind of Avatar world somewhere now? Yeah, Disney uh, World. Yeah. Which oh, is, Disney you know, doesn't mean anything anymore. So yeah, right. But uh, um, it, it'll, it's going to be great when they come out and just fucking sink the movie industry as it gets back on its feet from the plague, if it does. So yeah. Okay. Here's a couple of random things I want to throw out about this movie sure. before we. First of all, do you remember when you first saw this movie? Uh, it was definitely on television, and it was on CBS during primetime, and it was really. I remember being kind of scared but thrilled by it like not terrified but like electrified by it yeah so you did you ever maybe at one of those go ape things did you never ever get to i've see never these seen movies? any of them on a big screen ever you still haven't no no oh my god all right well we're gonna have to fix that at some point later this year yeah but i remember ape for a day it was called what was the go ape ad i've had that t-shirt in my various sizes through the years from Medium on up to where I am now, which is more than medium. Um, but I remember it played the Nostrum, and I was too young to go, and I like flipped out. My cousin Martin Snow went, and I made him, you know, just even though I knew what the movies were, I made him tell me all over again. So I'm actually surprised that my grandparents took me to see Conquest and 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 made it all the way through, because I think it was a year or two later. Do you know what year Towering Inferno came out? I think that was '74. Yeah, so two years later, I got them to take me to Towering Inferno, and we only made it <laughs> as far as the uh, the first burn victim, because the guy comes out of the elevator on fire. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Which is like the only good scene in Towering Inferno, yeah. I think. Uh, uh, but the, my, I remember my grandmother put my, her hand over my eyes, <laughs> and then like a minute <laughs> later, they're like, they're like, we're out of here, and they pulled me up out of the chair, and we left. But somehow I made it all the way through Conquest with them. And then my other grandfather, my grandpa Mac, I convinced him to take me to one of those go ape things, uh, and uh, we saw Planet Beneath and Escape. And then he was like, "Okay, I can't take it anymore." Yeah, so that's we, a, that's, a, that's a lot. That's a yeah. lot of movies. Yes. Yeah. No, I was obsessed with it from the moment I saw the apes. My mother made us ape costumes when I was six, and my sister was three. So, do you think you saw yeah. Planet first, like the first For one sure. first? Yeah. Okay. 
I also chose to believe for years. I know that when I was a baby, my father took my cousins in upstate New York at my grandmother's house to the drive-in to see the original. Oh, wow. And I, I have always chosen to believe that I was in the car asleep, but I right. don't think I was. Yeah. Right, right. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, Don Murray. And yeah. Only, only in this one aspect. I think he's great in this movie. He is. But am I wrong about this? Does he not have the ultimate Mort Drucker face? Where, <laughs> yeah. Like, he... He's like he doesn't. Mort Drucker doesn't have to exaggerate anything about him. He's all ears, nose, and chin. The like hair, it's the, and like yeah, he's just seen the yeah. Mort Drucker hair, the like the layered kind of curly, shiny. Yeah, I know. I went back to try to find the Mad Magazine parody, which is called "Milking the Planet of the Apes." That's and, hilarious. Yeah, and and but I don't even think I don't know that it's Mort Drucker who drew it, and I don't. They were sort of parodying all five movies at once, so there's right. very there's only like one page on um, conquest, and I don't even think Don Murray is 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 represented right. in that parody. But I mean, perfect. And of course, there is that the Mad Magazine cover where which is like Cornelius pulling off an Alfred yeah, the ape, yeah, which is but, amazing. But yeah. Cornelius has the gap in his teeth. Yes, which is <laughs> one of their best ever. Yeah. So we should also talk a little bit about Severn Darden. Oh as God, evil yes. Culp. Who who also appears in battle as the same character? He becomes governor. Yeah. He replaces yeah. Governor Breck. Yeah, right. But, which uh, is interesting. Which is interesting because in the theatrical version, Breck theoretically could have still been alive. Yeah. But Don Murray didn't want to have anything to do with this. With the but, with the, yeah. <laughs> deposed. Yeah. So they put um, a worse guy in there. Yeah. But God, he's so great, so creepy. What a f- creepy creep. Severn Amazing. Darden. And the idea yeah. that he's a comedian primarily started with Second City and before that, the compass players that became Second City. Yeah. You know, he's got a, the only reason that makes any sense to me is he also sort of, he sort of has this Bob Balaban kind of quality sure, to him. Sure. Yeah. Who also is a sort of a, can be a comedian yeah. and, you know. Yeah. Menacing. Yeah. Yeah. But he's great. I mean, he puts it both together, I think, best in uh, Real Genius. He's the evil yes. dean that sells yeah, yeah. the weapons to the military, gets the kids to design a weapon. But yeah, what? He... we should run through his just quick run through highlighted filmography. The president's analyst. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. They shoot horses, don't they? Vanishing Point, which I just saw at the music box, uh, I think, earlier this year. Uh, Werewolves on Wheels, the last movie. He also composed the music. Play It As It Lays, which is a great movie. Dirty Little Billy, which I've never seen because uh, Michael J. Pollard, the recently departed, really genuinely, unpleasantly always gave me the creeps. And that poster, the drawing, it said, Billy the Kid was a punk. Uh, Day of the Dolphin, one of my favorites. Jackson County Jail. Mother Jugs and Speed, which is a movie I think we should watch and talk about. Yeah, okay. On this show. So in God We Trust with Marty Feldman, do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, I He do. was a monk. I did a weird thing. I walked by. We mentioned the Nostrum Theater. So it was on Nostrum Avenue and King's Highway. And I had a dog at the time. I had a kid named Teddy, and I used to go on long walks with him. So the Daily News gave a zero-star review to In God We <laughs> Trust. And I cut it out and took it to the theater, to the Nostrum, and I taped it on the window of the box office for some reason. <laughs> Like I was just wanted a sock, even though you know I love the Nostrum. It's where I saw you know so many movies. Saturday the fourteenth, where I saw it the Nostrum. Yeah, Alan Broadman and I saw um, Halloween. Oh yeah, yeah, that was the first place. I, I didn't see Halloween there. I saw Halloween two there though. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, Saturday the 14th, which I, I watched at the Notion, completely annoyed. <laughs> I hated it. And all the other kids uh-huh. loved, loved it. And I kept waiting. I kept reading about the movie Thursday the 12th. I'm going, that's going to be better. That's going to be better, which became Pandemonium, <laughs> which I oh, guess okay. is better. But, you know, sheesh. Yeah. Uh, real <laughs> genius. Yeah. Back to school. He's uh, one of the professors. And then The Telephone, which is a fascinating movie. I've not seen the Woody, Whoopi Goldberg Written by, directed by Rip Torn, written by um, Harry Nilsson, and like, oh, I can't think of who the other who the other writer is. It's like, wow. Yeah, no, no. It's but it's like Nelson Lyon. It's like some beat like National Lampoon's crossover writer. I can't think of who it is. Yeah. When I used to work at Captain Video, that was a VHS that was sitting on the shelves all the time. I <laughs> was somehow never tempted to to pick it up. But one other thing I want to say, so, I mean, you talk about your parents, your grandparents making it through. The ape torture in this is horrific. Yeah. And oh, yeah. The- were we that jaded in the 70s? As kids, we'd be like, man, that sucks. I think if the kids in my life saw that today, they'd need trauma therapy. A- absolutely. Like, I can't, even even in its theatrical version, I can't even believe that this was released as it was. And it was a yeah. PG movie. And, yeah, it's... It's a horrible, it's like a, you know, it's a fascist, it's, uh, I know one of your favorite guys, uh, Panos Cosmatos. Oh, <laughs> the, God. I yeah. directed Mandy, he was on yeah. the, uh, he did a Movies That Made Me podcast where he's talking about futuristic fascist police state movies. Right. And this is like, you know, I think this was on his list, but I mean, this is like the ultimate. It really is, one, like, probably the most One of the first I ones, think of, yeah. yeah. Around um, with like THX 1138 and... Uh, right. He talks about this movie, which I've never seen, called ZPG. ZP, Zero Population one? Growth. Yeah, I have seen that. Yeah. yeah. That's a cool movie with um, Oliver Reed. Yeah. Okay. And uh, Soylent Green. Right. You know, a lot of Heston movies. Omega right. Man. Yeah. Uh, th- There's a lot of THX 1138 in this, I would say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lot, yeah. Know. Totally, yeah. But this movie, uh, watching it this week, it reminded me that how influential it was. I mean, it didn't remind me. It made me realize, oh, you know, there's so much of Escape from New York in this movie. And there's um, Starship Troopers. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, this really sort of predates Starship Troopers and the whole use of Nazi The Nazi uniform, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Except it's kind of like a prank in Starship Troopers. Here it's just like, you know, holy shit, we're in bad times, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, that was a real wheeze. <laughs> That's the thing. My my grandparents uh didn't seem offended by this movie. Um I loved it. I wasn't traumatized. Like I said, the most traumatizing thing to me was poor Ricardo Montalban getting tortured by that authenticator yeah. and then jumping out the window. Um I don't remember being at all sort of like worried or scared at the end with the battle scenes right. and the, um, uh, it's also, uh, I wish there was more, I don't think they shot anymore, but it's pretty funny, uh, when they send, uh, Caesar in, uh, to, uh, mate with, with Lisa. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's all thing. come hither. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wish there was a little more to that scene, but, uh, <laughs> well, they got but to there's that work other... on that PG rating. There's that crazy sequence uh, where Caesar, it's towards the end, but before things really hit the fan, where he um, 
seems to be everywhere at once and he's constantly like signaling right, these apes right. to like do their like accidental fuck ups and turn the trash upside down or yeah. set the thing on fire and it's like it's such a weird montage which doesn't have music so it's not really one of these sort of music montages but it's this crazy little hey Caesar is everywhere right and it almost feels like a sketch comedy show kind of thing for sure it's like all yeah. these well, little it's played like, comedically for sure slapsticky and then the apes always jump in triumph yeah they do sort of the culture jamming the uh, you know the uh, merry prankster, but you know, male- malevolent prankster kind of it, stuff. It, it, yeah, it feels yeah. like a Benny Hill um, yeah, segment. Yeah, totally. Or yeah, especially Frank the gorilla, the waiter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The red uh, tux. Yeah. Uh, and I also I like the little uh, human Thanatos moment where the woman is smoking and she goes, "You know, it's funny. Now that I know these don't kill me, I don't enjoy them." Yeah, and it's like a it's like a weird looking green cigarette too. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. <laughs> what that. Um, Something that I really liked about this movie and reminded me of this obsession I had when I was a kid with uh, movies from um, England and maybe maybe European movies in general uh, seemed to and their sound design seemed to be much more interested in the sound of people's footsteps and footfalls. And you always heard people's like they were just walking down the street. You'd hear all those footsteps. And in American right. movies, to me, it seemed like they didn't do a lot of that sort of foley yeah. work in the end. And except in this movie, I love uh, all those uh, fascist uh, boots uh, clacking oh, at night phenomenal. and the thing. Yeah. And it's contrasted with the apes who don't make any noise when they're right. sort of like they charging shuffle, up. Yeah. 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 Really good. I, lo- I really like the sound design. I really like the music in this movie. Uh, and so I looked up the guy. And did you did you discover who this dude was? This guy, Tom Scott? No. He was a jazz. Now, first of all, it sounds to me like they're using some of what, to my mind, is hands down the best uh, score for a movie ever, which is the original Planet of the Apes and um, uh, Jerry Goldsmith's score. It sounds like they're using some of that at the beginning, and it sounds like they're using that at the very end of the movie, too. But otherwise, it's this dude, Tom Scott, who was a, um, a jazz musician uh, but he was also a founding member of the Blues Brothers Band. Um, oh shit! Yeah. And yeah, and he uh, he also did some TV theme songs. He wrote the songs. He wrote the theme songs for Starsky and Hutch and for Streets of San Francisco. Oh well, you definitely hear that in the in this. Yeah, in yeah. Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it definitely it gets like kind of jazzy, kind of like acidy, Zappa ish sometimes. Yeah. Well. In the in one of the things that you were talking about the 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 ape torture stuff is that the training session that we see towards the beginning where there's flashing lights and they're trying to yeah. convince them not to be scared of fire or to be scared right. of fire and how to pour a drink and stuff. There also seem to be playing some horrible music to either distract the apes or drive them crazy. Right. And I think yeah, that's where some of that weird jazzy, right. crazy screechy shit comes from. Yeah. Anyway, Tom Scott. So. All right. Well, I think uh, we've come to an organic conclusion here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what do you uh, what do you think for next time? I, I like Mother Jones. How about Beware the Blob? I was thinking like something that was oh. on Channel Nine all the time. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let's so do Beware we'll, we'll the talk Blob. Beware the Blob next time. Talk about a movie that scared the shit out of me as a kid. Wow. Wow. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And really we bummed will. me out. Another bummer movie. It was a total bummer. Gave me headaches. I watched mm-hmm. it all the time. <laughs> and Larry Hagman. Larry Hagman directed, who's also uh, in uh, Mother Jugs and Speed. 
All right. So let's do Beware the Blob. And we'll then do we the can Beware the Blob. It. So uh, this is our first episode. 70 movies we saw in the 70s. Yeah, seven, and maybe it should be 70 minutes. Maybe we should cut these all down to 70 minutes. That's, 70 uh, minutes that's, that's up 70... to you, wizard. <laughs> so, all right. All right. I will sign off now.